You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right, well, welcome to you. My name is Jamin, if I haven't met you, and uh, we are going through a series on Luke. And we usually take some small little passages, and then we dive in today. But today we're going to take three passages, because I want to read it to you. One of the things that struck me as I was getting ready for this part of Luke is just three passages in a row of really crazy stuff happening. And you've already heard some of the crazy stuff, Jesus calming a storm. I want to read it to you again, because I'm trying to imagine if you're a disciple and you're used to normal life, just like the rest of us, you've been catching fish. I don't know if that's normal life for you. It's not for me, but you know, doing something of normal everyday substance. And then you go through just two chapters of crazy stuff with Jesus, your life is just going to be messed up after that. Like, you, you wouldn't really know what to do after these situations. So I want to read them and then just kind of pause with you and digest those for a minute. Uh, today I thought I'd read out of the Kingdom New Testament um, when I'm just doing stories and not focusing on, like, keywords and stuff like that. I like to choose a translation that you're not used to so that you hear it in a um, different light, since I know some of you have heard these stories a hundred times. Uh, so the King of the New Testament is N.T. Wright. He's pretty much our famous scholar today. It's just a contemporary translation he did when he was doing some devotionals. I'm going to start in Luke. I lost my page. Eight. Dun, dun, dun. Eight twenty-two. So one day he got into a boat with his disciples and suggested that they cross to the other shore, so they set off. As they were sailing, he fell asleep. A violent wind swept down on the lake, and the boat began to fill dangerously with water. Master, master, shouted the disciples, coming and waking him up. Master, we're lost. He got up and scolded the wind and the waves. They stopped, and there was a flat calm. Where's your faith? he asked them. They were afraid and astonished. Who is this then? They asked one another. If he can give orders to the wind and water, and they obey him. They sailed to the land of the Gerasenes, which is on the other side of the Galilee. As he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he didn't live in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he screamed and fell down in front of him. You and me, Jesus, you and me, he yelled at the top of his voice. What is it with you and me, you son of the most high God? Don't torture me. Please, please don't torment me. Jesus was commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times over it had seized him. He was kept under guard with chains and Manacles. I think there's a British word here. I don't know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Manacles? Shackles? Because I almost read monocles, and the garrison demoniac looks very different in my mind now. Uh, he's got chains and manacles. But he used to break the shackles, and the demons would drive him into the desert. What's your name? Jesus asked him. 
Regiment, replied the man, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to order them to be sent into the pit. A sizable herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged him to allow them to go into them. He gave them permission. The demons went out of the man and entered into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep slope into the lake and was drowned. The herdsmen saw what had happened. They took to their heels and spread the news in the town and country, and people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting there at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. People who had seen how the demonic had been healed explained it to them. The whole crowd from the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to go away from them because great terror had seized them. So he got into the boat and returned. The man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus to let, them, let him stay with him, but he sent him away. Go back to your home, he said, and tell them what God has done for you. He went off around every town declaring what Jesus had done for him. Jesus returned. A large crowd was waiting for him and welcomed him back. A man named Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. He came and fell down in front of his feet. He pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, 12 years old, who was dying. So they set off. The crowd pressed close in around him. There was a woman who'd had an internal hemorrhage for 12 years. She had spent all she had on doctors, but had not been able to find a cure from anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his robe. Immediately, the flow of blood dried up. Who touched me? asked Jesus. Everybody denied it. Master, said Peter, the crowds are crushing you and pressing you. Somebody touched me, said Jesus. Power went out from me, and I knew it. When the woman saw that she couldn't remain hidden, she came up trembling and fell down in front of him. She told him in front of everyone why she had touched him and how she had been healed instantly. Daughter, said Jesus, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone arrived from the synagogue ruler's house. Your daughter's dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Don't be afraid, said Jesus when he heard it. Just believe she will be rescued. When they got to the house, he didn't let anyone come in with them except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was weeping and wailing for her. Don't cry, said Jesus. She isn't dead. She's asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, get up, child. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. He told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he told them to tell nobody what had happened. I know that's a lot of reading today, but that's a lot of craziness. This guy named Jesus comes up to you, tells you to follow him. You know that he's a big deal. Maybe you know him personally. Maybe you've seen the crowds gathering around him. But this big of a deal, I mean, this is, this is something else. I mean, originally... They're on a boat, and a bunch of them are fishermen. So if you're a fisherman and you think you're going to die on a boat, you probably have a good idea of how, how that's probably going to happen. <laughs> because you're used to wind. You're used to waves. You're used to reading out what kind of water is safe to be in, and they do not feel safe. And this isn't like a pirate ship. You know, We're not talking about like a giant boat here. This is just like 
a boat boat. Think like large, wide canoe. And Jesus is exhausted from all the ministry he's been doing. You know he has to be exhausted because he's asleep in a canoe, a wide canoe. Well, there's a storm that people think they're going to die in. I don't know if Jesus just like was rocked a lot as a baby and that just kept him down or what, but like he's, he's out of it. He's out of it, and he's not worried at all. And when the disciples wake him up, I mean, what do you think your first response would be? Oh, no, we're about to kill the Messiah. Like, we, we messed up. God, we're sorry. Like, we, we shouldn't have come out here. Now he's gone. And Jesus, just like, I almost imagine him, like, grumpy, like, who woke me up? You know, like, <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is going on? What is going on? Well, we're going we're gonna to die. Can't you, can't you see that? What? Oh, wind, waves, shut up. <laughs> you know, like, that's a... Not the way that anyone saw that going down. I mean, Jesus, yeah, he's, he's healed people. But this is, this is straight up nature at this point. And, and for the ancient mind, like water, that, that was dangerous stuff. Water was there before the earth was created. Water in the ancient mind was considered pure chaos. You didn't know it was out there. We still don't know what's out there. You know, like we, we still haven't been to the bottom of it. We don't know what kind of animals, kind of fish that we've never discovered are, are down there. And when we see some of the stuff come up that does belong down there, we're like, what on earth is that thing? Whales, sharks, blobfishes. I like to think of them on the same level, but maybe for you they're not. <laughs> There's weird stuff down there. And ancient people knew that too. And so they were scared of that. They were scared of going out in the ocean. They were scared of going out in the water. They were scared of being lost at sea. Shipwrecks could happen to you. All kinds of things could happen to you. You could run into to Leviathan and Job, this crazy almost sea god monster type thing. It's described as like a dragon. Like they had legends of what was out there. And yet Jesus wakes up. He sees the chaos all around him, the unordered abyss. It's the land that's really been ordered. God put order in the waters by adding fish. But he didn't exactly order the waters, because at the end of the Bible, he's going to get rid of all the water, and it's just his order of land. It's metaphor, but that's where we're headed, into complete order. Jesus sees all the chaos, and in the same way that Jesus creates the world, the Holy Spirit creates the world, God the Father creates the world, Jesus looks at the chaos of the world and he says, cut it out. And it stops. Now, there's a lot of things that prophets have done throughout time, but this one's pretty extreme. I don't know how many of you have told storms to cut it out and it just ceases. But the disciples have a moment where they're like, who is in this boat with us? In fact, in one of the other Gospels, it says they worship Jesus. So like this moment right here, like this is a moment for the disciples where like, this guy is more than just human. Because you don't worship humans. Is this more like this, this, there's something beyond, because only God can tell the wind and the waves to stop, and they stop. But Jesus has that authority, and he does it. And then they land in the Gerasenes, 
And there's that guy in town, that guy that everybody knows, because you can't be running around naked, yelling from mountains, living in the tombs, and people haven't heard of you. There are people in Jackson that if I walked up to you and said, have you ever seen this guy at this place? You would be like, oh yeah, we've all seen that guy at this place. Because all cities, as you grow in community, you get to know that there are just some unusual things that can happen, and everybody knows about it. The Gerasenes know about this guy. This guy has lost his mind. If we were to look at it purely from our um, world today, we would say mental health issues. And he is dealing with that. I mean, he's cutting himself. He's bleeding. He's hearing voices. He's running around naked. He's screaming. Sure, these are all mental health issues. But at the root of his healing that he needs specifically, there's demons. And it's not just demons in this case. It's lots and lots and lots of them. He's not just dealing with one pest of a demon. He's dealing with a legion of them. And this is like a whole nother level. The, the, when you find yourself dealing with a whole lot more like this, the oppression becomes great. Uh, there are some times when I've done deliverances with people where we have stumbled across hundreds, and it's explained why the, their ability to take over so easily was so much higher than when I've dealt with people that just have one or more. So when you're dealing with hundreds, it's a spiritual force that takes over. So it's interesting because Jesus gets into the Gerasenes and he comes across one of these people that has less control over their own life than most people do. Their mental health is going crazy. Their spirit is going crazy. And you can imagine, if you will, from a spiritual world perspective, there's one man who gets out of a boat and there are hundreds of demons that start running toward him. I like to imagine it Hollywood version. Jesus gets off the boat and his cape is going behind him in slow-mo as there's a, a whole army of hundreds of demons running toward him. And you're like, oh no, Jesus, run. <laughs> but when the army gets before Jesus, what happens? The garrison man whom they're in bows before Jesus and says, what do you have to do with me, son of the most high? Please don't torture me. Please don't torment us. Please don't send us back to the pit. Why? I don't know. I remember one demon I was trying to cast out said, after I had messed with it, tortured it for like an hour trying to get it to leave, it just said, we trained for this. I could tell by how much it was dealing with that it did not want to go back home and say that it had failed. I'm not sure what the results are when that happens, but that one certainly was willing to hang on as long as it could. And you can see these guys, please don't send us back to the pit. Please don't send us out of the country. Please, please don't make us leave this place or this area. Don't let us go home as failures. And Jesus looks at them and just kicks them out into pigs, which to us is very strange. But in the ancient world, that was how you did deliverance. Uh, Jewish exorcists and exorcists in general were used to bringing in animals in, trying to transfer a demon from a person to the animal, and then you put the animal in the river and drown it. That's the way that they went about casting out demons. So when you see Jesus take hundreds of demons out of one guy, send them into hundreds of pigs, and toss hundreds of pigs into the ocean, into the abyss, 
I mean, you see what the Bible's doing there. It's saying, we just found our mega exorcist. <laughs> we just found the guy to which demons are afraid of. Because that's not the case for all the other exorcists. You remember in the book of Acts, there's some people trying to cast out some demons. They're like, oh, I adjure you by the name of Jesus to get out who Paul preaches. Get, get out of this guy by, by the name of Jesus. Remember what those demons did? Paul, I recognize. Jesus, I know. But who are you? And it says those exorcists were chased out of the tent naked and bleeding. Clearly, their deliverance service did not go right. <laughs> I haven't had that one happen yet. I'm hoping that I don't have that problem. Uh, but in that particular case, you see a, a glimpse at how it usually goes when people have to face demons. But not with Jesus. The hundreds that come up before him, they're afraid of the one guy. They recognize him. They know he's in charge. They know they don't have a choice. They know that if they, they are going to get in front of him, they are in big, big trouble. And so they barter. Please send us into the pigs. Let's do this a different way. Don't send us back to the pit. They get in a boat with Jesus. Jesus tells nature what to do, and it does it. They get on land with hundreds of demons. Jesus tells demons what to do, and they do it. And then... They go to heal someone who is dying, and she dies before they get there. And you would think, well, this would be the end. I mean, Jesus, he can heal all kinds of things, sure. Uh, but uh, this one, this one's pushing it, raising the dead. And yet, Jesus comes across the most intense sickness that any of us have faced, death itself. And he says, don't worry about it. She's only sleeping, have faith. And they all know she's dead. That's why they all laugh when he says she's only sleeping, as though Jesus is making a mockery of this situation. And then Jesus raises her back to life. On the way there, he heals a woman who's been sick for 12 years, and on the way when he gets there, he heals a 12-year-old. Doesn't matter how long you've been sick. Doesn't matter if you've already faced that final finish line. Doesn't matter if nature is out of control. Doesn't matter if there's hundreds of demons. Jesus is in charge and walks in the faith and belief that he is in charge. And everything around listens to him. So with that in mind, what kind of Christianity are you living I mean, I get it. There are some prayer requests that just never seem to get answered. We pray them over and over again. We try to walk with the faith that, that we believe that uh, Jesus can conquer it, and sometimes it doesn't happen. In fact, maybe some of us would say oftentimes it doesn't happen. We had a man in this church that we were praying for for years for his cancer to go away. And it was up and it was down. We would pray for a long time, and suddenly he was feeling much better. And then uh, a month later, it was like crashing again. And so we surfed those waves with him. God, please heal him. God, we know you can heal him. We need a miracle. We want a miracle. We know that pancreatic cancer is, is one of the, the hardest to get rid of. But we know that Jesus can heal. So Jesus, would you heal? And in the end, 
our prayers weren't answered. And because that feels so intense, because that feels like such a great defeat, we oftentimes don't want to pray anymore. Say, well, it didn't happen that time, so we're not going to do it next time. But then we stop and we pay attention to the kinds of things that we have prayed for in this church, and we realize we could focus on those stories instead, where we can be realists and say, yeah, it doesn't always get answered, but you know what? Sometimes it does. Where someone comes in to the front of the stage while I'm leading worship and says, I can hardly talk, I need you to pray. And I'm like, okay, I'm just leading worship right now, but Jesus, would you heal them? And we all collectively listen to their voice come back. When somebody has uh, a tumor on their heart and they're going in for surgery this week and we come around and we pray and the doctor no longer does surgery because when they go to scan it right before, it's not there anymore. Like, we could choose those stories to focus on. But the defeat sometimes feels so surreal and is so much more painful that we begin to tell ourselves another narrative where God maybe isn't strong enough or God can't do it. But we know biblically, He can. And this short chapter in Luke shows you it's the God who who's in human flesh that stops the wind and waves that casts out hundreds of demons that heals death itself. That's a God you can have faith in. And we don't always know the reasons that it doesn't happen. And you know what? God isn't always concerned with us knowing those reasons. Sometimes we just have to be faithful even when we face those hard times. Like Daniel, who prays that God would answer uh, and give him some wisdom about what's going on. God sends an angel immediately, but the angel doesn't show up for two weeks. Why? Angel ran into spiritual traffic on the way, had to fight off some other little G-gods, Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece, to get there. The angel shows up and says, I was sent as soon as you asked. Sorry, ran into some trouble. Maybe some of those prayers that you've been praying didn't find the answers they were looking for because they ran into difficult things like that too. But the instructions that we have are to pray, to boldly go before God's throne and ask for the impossible, knowing that Jesus can do the impossible. A lot of times we walk into God's throne room just groveling, like trying to pull ourselves all the way before the throne and then just lay there and hope that, that God will will appease us as we shiver as these tiny little worms. But you know what? The church prayed very differently in the early church. They understood that they were sons and daughters of God, and so they walked into God's throne room saying, here's a request from earth. Here's what we would like to ask. Kneeling, while I understand why we do it, and we're showing respect to God, kneeling was not much of a thing in the early church until about 100 to 200 years in. And you know why it came about? Because Rome became Christian. And so the emperor started including Roman things in the process. No, no, we have respect. We kneel. But the early church before that, they boldly went before God's throne. They knew that they were going to ask God for the kinds of things that he wanted. And so, yeah, kneeling is not bad. I'm just saying, like, come before God's throne with that same boldness. God, we see sickness here. We know that Jesus healed sickness. And we know that one day everything will be healed in the resurrection. But right now we see something. And as your children, we would like to ask that your Holy Spirit heal it. And then wait 
and see what happens. God, we've run into demons over here. We don't know what to do to get them out, but we know that all demons you ran into, including hundreds in the garrisons, you had control over it. That's how I got wrapped up in, in deliverance ministry. I started working with people, had no idea what I was doing. The only thing I knew concretely, fully, was that God could kick these out and that they had no right to be there if Jesus told them to leave. And so I just kept meeting with people, trying to untangle the web that they were in spiritually, helping them through forgiveness, helping them through inner healing, until Jesus would say, okay, this one can go now, kick it out. And then we would kick it out. And the symptoms that those things caused would leave with them often. I didn't know what I was doing. All I knew was that Jesus could do it, and he taught me along the way. I don't know how to heal. I don't know what gets in the way of healing. All I know is that Jesus can do it. So when someone comes up to me and says, I'm sick, I pray for healing. I don't know the magical Christian incantation to speak to make God answer something when I'm saying, God, I need words from wisdom. So if I just say, oh, blessed Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, before Father of God above, <laughs> if I say the right words, perhaps he'll come and, and answer me in that moment. No, there's, there's no formula. It's simply that I know that God can speak, and so if I'm stuck and I need wisdom, I go to the spirit of wisdom and say, would you speak to me? I will now be quiet and listen. Jesus gives us an example of what Christian life can look like when we are fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he has taken that full empowerment and he's delegated it amongst all of us so that not any single one of us can be the answer to anyone's problems. But at the same time, you all have the Holy Spirit inside of you as Christians. So when someone has a problem, you might say, I don't have that gift, but I know God can heal anyways. Let's do it. I don't know how to kick those things out, but I know God can do it anyways. Let's do it. And lean into what he's doing. Now, I've taught on spiritual gifts probably too many times here. So um, <laughs> I've been debating getting into another series on it because I think the makeup of our church is different than it's been in previous times. But uh, as Brian mentioned, our late night Wednesday night worship service, we're trying to intertwine some spiritual gifts teaching into the worship um, so that you can kind of uh, move in that space to learn more about it. So if you want to go deeper into it, Here's the basic premise I've given you today. You see through the story of Jesus, you can do it. You just got to be willing to try. And don't let those moments where it didn't work predetermine how you're going to act the next times. Jesus can do it, so lean into that, whether it happens or not. Don't get caught up in this whole mind game of maybe I didn't have enough faith. Jesus, Jesus is not calling you into that kind of chaos. That's not the way this works. Just simply put your faith in Jesus and always pray. But if you want to go deeper to learn more about spiritual gifts and how they work and how the Holy Spirit often works in those ways, join us for worship, and uh, we'll have some little practices while we're uh, singing and, and meditating and meeting with the Spirit during that time. So, Jesus, we come before you, and we just think of a few days in the life lives of the your disciples. 
They see you tell nature what to do. They see you tell chaos what to do. They see you tell hundreds of demons what to do. They see you tell death what to do. They see you tell long-lived sicknesses what to do. And all those things obey. And God, we do that, and we don't always see it. And so we sometimes just shut down that thinking. But that's not a faith-filled church. We can go too far the other way and blame people for not being healed. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're just simply supposed to be available to you. That when we see sickness, we pray. When we see pain, we pray. So we worship you just like the disciples did. And we ask for wisdom how to follow you better. That we might see the gospel come to life. That we might see it in Jackson as it is in heaven. Because healing is a foreshadow of resurrection where there's no more pain. Casting out demons is a foreshadow of resurrection where there's no more demons. Healing someone from death is a foreshadow of resurrection where there's no more death. Calming the chaos of nature and the wind and waves is a foreshadow of resurrection where there are no more wind and waves, where there is no more chaos but only your order. We want that in Jackson now, as it is in heaven. And we know that we'll see the fullness one day when you bring it about. But we know that you're already trying to bring it about through our actions. So here we are. Teach us to pray faithfully, to walk in power faithfully, and to love you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.